Well, good morning, everyone. Worship in Lament. And the title, the subtitle there, Learning to Sing the Blues, uh, actually was um, language used. Um, it was presumably from the message, was it, you were reading earlier on, Nigel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, and so that's how Eugene Peterson uh, translated or paraphrased um, some phrase in the psalm we heard. Um, I actually picked up on this title because when I was doing a bit of research for the talk and someone else had used this title for a talk and with my kind of music uh, background, it, it appealed to me. And I thought it'd be worth just, first of all, outlining a little bit about where I'm coming from in this. And the first thing to say is, I, I don't think as a community of River Church, but wider than that, as a community of River Church, as part of a movement of charismatic churches, charismatic evangelical churches, I don't think it's, it's a subject we talk very much about. Uh, and I don't think it's a subject we're necessarily particularly good at. Um, so, and I'm not pointing any fingers in saying that because I, I kind of wanted to, to outline a little bit about where I'm coming from personally in terms of this talk. And I can never remember which button to press. It is that one. Good. And there's a bit of a then and now for me. The then, let's say three years ago, I would have been delivering this talk from a different perspective. And I would have been very much struggling to give this talk. Because uh, in my head, I knew that lament was a legitimate part of worship. I knew that lament was a legitimate part of the biblical experience. But in my heart... I kind of thought, yeah, but aren't we living an abundant life and don't we believe in healing and the blessing of God and, and all of that good stuff, which we do, by the way, and still do, talking personally. But I guess my perspective, and this is my shallowness I'm confessing here, my perspective was shaped by my experience. And the reality was, life was pretty good. And I'd experienced all that good stuff that we've just been talking about. I've just been listing. And from quite a young age, been passionately pursuing that in terms of the kingdom of God coming to the earth. Which I still am, by the way. But my perspective was that I didn't really get it three years ago. Now I am delivering this talk from a different perspective. And it's from my different experience. And I, I just want to very quickly list it of the stuff that's happened for me, for us as a family over these last, well, less than three years, really. Um, and I want to make it clear, when I, before listing this, I, I'm not, well, I'm certainly not, this is more directed at anyone watching this randomly 
on the internet who doesn't know me. I'm not delivering this for the sympathy vote. <laughs> I'm not listing this for the sympathy vote. I'm certainly not listing this because I think my experience is the worst. And, and I know there are people in this room as I deliver this, and certainly if you're watching this at home and it may well be true for you, whose experience is as bad, worse, how do you measure these things? But it would be helpful just to talk about my experience quickly. So you all remember COVID, yeah? Haven't completely eased from our mind. So 2020, um, we were kind of, you know, with everyone else wrestling with the beginnings of that. And then in November, late November of 2020, um, Lina, my wife's uh, younger sister, Rose, uh, was aware of uh, a swelling on her leg and, and they thought it was a thrombosis of some kind. She went into hospital in Kent, which is significant. <laughs> and um, they quickly, after running lots of tests, sadly diagnosed that she had a form of leukemia. And they began treatment for that, although that in itself was very serious. And within a short time of being in hospital in Kent, she contracted COVID. And uh, despite the best efforts of the doctors, uh, sadly on December the 11th, she died of COVID with complications of leukemia. That was very tough and remains tough. Obviously, particularly for Lina, but for us as a family as a whole. The, the, the months rolled by, and uh, then on March the 30th, 2021, I, I woke up one morning with, with uh, searing pain down my left arm um, and, and couldn't move my hand and my fingers. And um, I'm a guitarist, uh, quite apart from anything else. Um, so that was uh, interesting, to say the least. And I've had operations, and the pain's gone, and all that stuff, but my fingers remain the same. I've had to relearn guitar uh, in, a, in a different, playing in a different way. But that paled into insignificance a few weeks later when our eldest daughter, Emma, was diagnosed with breast cancer and um, in, in April of, of that year. And she had treatment and an operation, and we hoped and prayed that was the end of that story but last summer sadly she received uh well she went in to see the, the doctors again she was aware of some things she was worried about and they said yes the cancer had returned and spread and she was given a stage four uh, diagnosis which remains the case today and just a quick update she is in herself right now seemingly in very good health and she is living life to the full but the reality is doesn't know really what the future holds. And so here's the truth. If I couldn't worship from a place of lament right now, I wouldn't be able to worship at all. And I know that's true for other people as well. When I kicked off this series on worship from the Psalms uh, back in January... Uh, my key verse for the whole talk was this one from John 4.24, which 
was already mentioned as well um, at the beginning of the worship. And Jesus talks about worshippers worshipping in spirit and in truth. And I want to concentrate on that word truth because yes, of course, our charismatic evangelical mind will leap to that being about the truth, the one who said he is the truth, Jesus, and worshipping in him, worshipping in the truth of about all who he is and what that represents in terms of the kingdom of God in this world, and that is true, but I think it also means worshipping out of our individual truth. However messy that truth might be right now. And for some of us, it's messy. For some of us, it's been messy for a very long time. So you will be stunned and shocked and surprised to know I've got three points (laughs) under which I I want to talk about lament. And the first one is lament is normal. Lament is normal. Those who analyse this sort of thing will tell us that about 40% of the content of the Psalms, this book of worship songs, about 40% of it you could characterize as lament. Lament is normal human experience. 40%, that's huge. I didn't know that. And I haven't put this on, on the slide, but um, I was talking to someone during the week about this, about the fact I'd be delivering this talk, and they said, well, yeah, of course, and you know, the vast majority of the New Testament is either written by people experiencing suffering and going through a really hard time, or it's written to people experiencing suffering and going through a really hard time, or both. <laughs> In the Psalms, we hear David and Asaph and the other writers dealing with very common, very normal human complaints. Why is this happening to me? When will it stop? How long do I have to endure this? Where are you anyway, God? Why are my enemies having such a good time? And it's all going well for them. And if in your heart of hearts, or maybe out loud, you have ever expressed any sentiment like that, you are not a second-rate believer. You are normal. And some of you need to hear that. (laughs) And I needed to hear that. And if you want any convincing about the spirituality of that, consider this. Which is a quote from Psalm 22, verse 1, but many of you will recognize it 
from the end of the Gospels. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? And people ask the question, and I've read it again in researching this this week, you know, why would Jesus say that? Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus with this amazing relationship with his Father. Surely there must have been some, you know, there was some theological reason for Jesus saying this, but it wasn't really what he was feeling, and I think that's rubbish. Personally, you can disagree with me. I don't pretend to understand everything that was going on when he said that. I really don't. But I think that the answer may well lie in the fact that Jesus was, had to be, fully human. Subject to all the feelings that we have. And this is normal human experience. Secondly, and you would be even more stunned to know it still begins with the letter N. Lament is natural. Lament is normal. Lament is natural. What do I mean by that? Well, by that I mean that lament speaks from our natural humanity. Now, we speak, do we not, of living a supernatural life in Jesus and in our worship, supernatural aspects of worship, experiencing the presence of God with his wonders and signs, a deep experience of the other, of the unseen realm, and I am not denying any of that. I believe in that. I haven't stopped believing in that. But lament is the place where we worship from our natural humanity. From our earthliness and earthiness if you like. And because of that, don't look for, in lament, particularly well-rounded, spiritual-sounding words and sentiments. I mean, you might find that in the Psalms, and sometimes the translators try and make them sound more poetic and, I don't know, polished. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's always true to what's being expressed. The language of lament is often pretty blunt. Why? What? How? Uh, Eugene Peterson, who um, wrote the message translation, um, has got this introduction to the Psalms um, in, in the Message Bible, or certainly in the version that is just the Psalms. 
And he says this, and it's a long quote, but I'll read it in full. Because he puts things uh, better than I could, really. He says this, Faced with the prospect of conversation with a holy God who speaks worlds into being, it's not surprising we have trouble with prayer. We feel awkward and out of place. I'm not good enough for this. I'll wait till I clean up my act and prove I'm a decent person. Or we excuse ourselves on the grounds that our vocabulary is inadequate. Give me a few months or years to practice prayers that are polished enough for such a sacred meeting, then I won't feel so stuttery and ill at ease. My usual response when presented with these difficulties is to put the Psalms in a person's hands and say, go home and pray these. A common response to those who do what I ask is surprise. They don't expect this kind of thing in the Bible. And then I express surprise at their surprise. Did you think these would be the prayers of nice people? Did you think the psalmist language would be polished and polite? Untutored, we tend to think that prayer is what good people do when they're doing their best. And I will insert the word worship instead there, actually. Untutored, we tend to think that worship is what good people do when they're doing their best. It is not. In experience, we suppose there must be an insider language that must be acquired before God takes us seriously in our prayer or worship. There is not. Prayer is elemental, not advanced language. It's the means by which our language becomes honest, true, and personal in response to God. It's the means by which we get everything in our lives out in the open before God. So, let's just look at a few examples of what we're talking about here and I've just got a few examples there on the slide and they are pretty much random as I just went through Psalms picking stuff out I could have had a whole other set but I will start with that Psalm 22 verses 1 and 2 that we were looking at just the beginning of just now in terms of Jesus's words on the cross my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. And you know, we, I, we, if someone's saying that, we could be so quick to rush in with our well-meaning reassurances. Well, you say God isn't answering, but you know, when God seems silent, it might just mean that he's, he's, he's saying, wait. He might just mean that he's saying, lean in closer to me, my child. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sounding sarcastic. Those things might be true but they might not be the most helpful thing to say in the moment. I now realize. Psalm 6, verses 3 to 6. I'm sick at heart. 
How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Oh, there's a bit of hope here. Unfailing love. Okay, so he has got some faith here. But then he goes on. For the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? He's kind of reasoning with God. Get me out of this so I can praise you. I'm not going to praise you if I'm down in the grave. I'm worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Ah, oh, well, you see, how, you're asking the question, how long? But one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and the time, God's timing is not our timing, Andy. And let's just look in a little bit more length at Psalm 88. Here we go. O Lord, God of my salvation, good start. I cry out to you by day. I come to you by night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I'm as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They've left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I'm forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down with wave after wave you have engulfed me. And then it's got one of those things, in, probably in your Bible, it says selah, or here it says interlude, because that's probably what it, it means. Stop and think about that one. And you think, oh, good, for goodness sake. That's, I'm glad we're taking a break there. And we're expecting, because sometimes in the Psalms, it then goes on, it to then go on in verse 8, something like, and yet, O Lord, I will remember that your blessings and your, yeah, afraid not. Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? Oh Lord, I cry to you. I keep on pleading day by day. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I've been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They've engulfed me completely. You've taken away my companions and my loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. End of psalm. I missed some verses out there somewhere, but anyway. They all said the same thing. By the way, darkness is my closest friend. I think this particular translator was aware of the works of Paul Simon. Um, (laughs) Because if you look at other translations, it isn't quite like that. But anyways, this is the natural language of lamenting humanity. So if it's your language, that's okay. It's biblical. But, third N, bit of a cheat. Lament is normal, it's natural, but it's not the final word. 
leaving aside Psalm 88. The psalmist usually does remember the past works of the Lord, and that points them to faith for the future. And in the middle of Psalm 71, which has got definitely elements of lament in it, there's this, for me, really important phrase, as for me, I will always have hope. I will always have hope. In the midst of all of this, and even in the midst midst of our elemental expressions of complaint and desperation, we can still draw on hope because lament is not the same as despair. For us. And I want to finish by reading some words from what is the final word, from what is the end of the story. You know, you can see the Bible as book one of an amazing love story between God and his people which starts with him walking with them and then a whole lot of stuff comes in that causes all of this pain but the end of book one in Revelation gives us the final hope. And I will just warn you that um, it is rare for me to get through these words without crying. Not just as I am now. It's rare for me to get through these words without crying just about any time I've read it out over the last several years because as I read these words, I'm always so aware of the experiences of others with whom I've been in a relationship with whom I've been in church, whose situations I've been involved in, and um, these words are very special. (laughs) And of course they're very special now. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4. Then... I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth, with all its pain, had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. That's a whole other talk. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. It's a love story. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. And they will be his people. He will live with us. And we will be his people. 
God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Then there will be no more lament. But until that time, we don't live perfectly in the age to come yet. So as for me, well, in all honesty, I'm quite sad at the moment. Not all the time. Quite a lot of the time. But in that sadness, for me personally, I can't unsee the goodness of God. Does that mean I understand the place we find ourselves in right now? Nope, I don't. But right now I am holding on to the truth of those words I've just read. And praying from my place of lament for more and more of that age to come to invade our present experience. Because I still believe in that. Let's just be quiet for a moment, can we? And then I'd like to pray. And then am I handing back? And then I'll be handing back to John and the worship team. Father, I look around this room and I see a whole lot of normal people standing with me, a normal person. And uh, because of that, Lord, I know there's going to be a lot of joy in this room and there's going to be quite a bit of sadness as well. And there's going to be a lot of rejoicing and there's going to be quite a bit of lament. And I don't know if it's 40%, Lord, but I know it's here. And I just want to thank you that you are with us in this. And we can worship you out of whatever situation we are in. And we might find that tough and we might not have pretty words. We might not even have any words. But Lord, we want to bring all of that to you as we come to you again consciously in sung worship and we know that you are with us and we thank you for that.